Ted Cruz castrated himself, put his testicles in a jar, gave them to Donald Trump, where presumably he keeps them in the residence somewhere. Hey, everybody. This is the Banter Podcast, episode number 14. It's your host, Ben Cohen. I'm here with Mike Luciano. Mike, how are you today? This is, we start the podcast every day, every time asking how Mike is doing. Uh, it's a good barometer for the, for the country, I think. I'm in a glass case of emotion, Ben, as is the rest of the country. But I will say I am encouraged by the fact that the other three officers that stood by and did nothing while George Floyd had the life squeezed out of him have been charged with abetting murder. And the perpetrator, perpetrator, his charge has been up to murder, too. So that's something. It's something. It's definitely something. You know, I mean, I think that the response to this has been uh, overwhelmingly positive. I would say that the response to to the killing of um, George Floyd has has been absolutely amazing for the most part. Obviously, the usual suspects are doing everything in their power to change the subject, pretend it's not happening, and use this as a as a an excuse to kind of clamp down on dissent and brand brand um, Antifa, a terrorist organization, etc. Uh, but for the most part, I think the response has been amazing. I've never seen, personally, I have never seen white people this upset over something like the killing of George Floyd. I don't know about you, uh, but that's what I'm seeing. I, I've, ne- I've never seen anything like this, not in America. Definitely. I, I, I think the fact that we have clear video evidence of what happened and there is absolutely no defending it whatsoever. Um, so it, it is encouraging, but... I am a little discouraged by the fact that a lot of conservatives are seizing on the social unrest, basically pretending that this is like the main problem, right? Like this fleeting social civil unrest that we have. This is the this is the big thing. This is and not say, you know, institutional racism and racism among police forces across the United States of America, which has been an ongoing problem for as long as police forces have been a thing. So this is, it's kind of fits into a usual pattern. There's an inexcusable act of police brutality. And then there's the reaction, which is largely peaceful from protesters. But then you do have those people who do take advantage and they do loot and they riot and they set fires and then conservatives seize upon that and they they demonize anyone who who is out in the streets and, and pissed off at the state of affairs. I'm in two minds about this thing, about the, the you know, the, the protest turning violent and the looting, because I, I just don't I see how it could be counterproductive. But I also think that how what else do you do now? What else do you do? I don't understand. How do you protest this? And I think that like. Personally, I'm not making any judgments over. I'm not talking about the looting or the or the or anything like that because I think that the point the the major point here is um, not the looting; it's the killing of an of an unarmed black man, like a literal like a public execution, a slow torture and execution of a black man. That's what I, I think everyone should be focused on. So yeah, you know, obviously, like I don't agree with the looting. I don't think it's necessarily particularly useful. But I don't also don't know what else you're supposed to do. How else are we when you're a kind of marginalised? community and you're subjected to that type of brutality just for years and years and you know centuries 
what what else can you do other than burn the place to the ground? I mean, I, I read a good uh, there was a good tweet. Um, <laughs> Uh, I can't remember who said it, but it said something like, black people built this country for free, so you can't complain if they want to burn it down. The fact that reparations is like a controversial subject. It's like controversial. It's like, well, no, wait a second, wait a second. Most of the wealth of the United States was built on, on slave labor. I mean, it was, you know, the the southern economy was high, it was completely dependent on slave labor, right? And so was the so was the north as well. Not 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 quite to the same degree as I understand it, but the foundation of this country the economic wealth of this country was was basically was free labor from African slaves. That should be paid back. That should be you've had poverty, uh, African American poverty for you know hundreds of years. If it, if it was a race between like white people and black people, white people would have started ten yards from the finish line, while black people started right at the beginning. They haven't had any chance to accumulate wealth in the United States, mostly because they haven't because they were used treated as slaves, and then and then you know you got segregation, blocked off from economic opportunities. So reparations should not be controversial at all. I think someone recently put the figure at fourteen trillion dollars. I mean, that sounds about right. I mean, and also, and it's this idea that then you know, well, how are they going to spend it? How are they going to spend it? Oh, well, it's none of your fucking business. Right. It's not your business. How it's like asking a rape victim who gets compensation. It's like, well, uh, you know, I'll give them compensation, but you know, how are they going to spend it? None of your fucking business. It's. I think you know, there is historic crime committed against African Americans, and they've never been compensated for it. And the fact that that's controversial to me is is just a sign of how crazy American society is. And I say this as a Brit that you know, the, the we started this. We we started this. The the whole you know African slave trade was started by Great Britain. Colonialism. We Britain has a huge part to play in this as well, in the kind of structure of of um, colonialism, particularly in, in America. So, you know, a lot of the a lot of Western colonial countries have a lot to answer for and a lot to pay back for, I think. I think our problem goes well beyond reparations. And basically, like the white people in the country would think, okay, this is it. Like you got your reparations. There's no more racism. There's no need to take any further action. There's no need to try to make our police less racist. There's no need to try to completely outlaw redlining. But to your to your broader point, black people and how they've been treated for centuries on this continent, I've been seeing a an argument made by conservatives, and it goes something like this. The unrest we're seeing is basically the result of immersing this generation of Americans, so this argument goes, in identity politics, and that a person's race is what matters. And so basically, these folks are saying that the unrest that we're, we're seeing and the emphasis on blackness is because of what they're being taught at universities by intellectuals, race studies professors. And it's like, no, you have it exactly backward. It's been white people telling black people that their race is what matters most. And they've been doing it on this continent since 1619, when the first slaves came to the colonies. And I mean, just think of the trajectory here. It's been white people saying, you can't have your freedom because you're black. You're going to be lynched because you're black. You can't vote because you're black. You can't have this job because you're black. You can't attend this school because you're black. You can't use this fountain because you're black. 
and on and on and on until the racists, they get a little more subtle. You know, you can't take out a mortgage because you live in this area. I mentioned redlining. You were pulled over because you look suspicious, you know, driving through a predominantly white neighborhood all the way down to you have this cop's knee on your neck for nine minutes because you're resisting arrest somehow while handcuffed, lying face down before losing consciousness. So really, it has been white people for the entirety of the American experience telling black people that their race is what matters, not the other way around. It's not it's not black people telling other black people that their blackness is what matters most. White people started this. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've, I've this argument I've seen a lot about the white conservative argument that uh, leftist activists and leftist intellectuals are, are making, you know, the identity politics card. Look, I, th- I think there is some legitimacy, right, in, in, I think identity politic can be taken too far. Absolutely. I think that, you know, and the left has problems with that. The left has definitely got real problems with taking something and going to a, an extreme whereby it almost becomes the inverse of what it was supposed you know it does the opposite of what it's supposed to do like for example in in Ber- i remember watching it at uc berkeley like uh, non-white students created a sort of a, like a a barrier to prevent white students from crossing a bridge in berkeley and a lot a lot of students um attacking professors for i mean i remember there was one example of a, of a professor sent out a gentle email about Halloween saying like, hey, look, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what you can and can't wear. I'm going to trust your judgment on this. And then there was a huge protest on the campus uh, because, you know, she was basically condoning racism, apparently, you know, that's the gist of the story anyway. So I think that there is definitely, you know, leftist activists can go too far with, with these kind of politics, right? But I've always viewed identity politics as just a, a, a useful lens, how you sort of view the political situation, particularly in America, right? Because the race is a, con, is a European construct anyway. Like race has been essentially sort of, uh, that was a European idea in the first place. And they've forced the rest of the world to basically conform to those ideas of racial superiority. You know, all the colonies now have these terrible problems with uh you know the legacy of colonialism when it comes you know the lighter your skin is the better a person you are etc etc look in india you can see that in the caribbean uh in america as well in south africa um you've got racial strict racial hierarchies based on you know how dark your skin is the, the darker you are the less of a person you are so this is yeah like you say this is a worldview that has basically been started by white people and now you've got White people saying, oh, no, 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 it's not about that. It's not about race. It's about, you know, the, it's more complicated than that. Well, yeah, it is more complicated than that, but it also isn't, right? It also is race does make a difference, like you were saying. And I think to deny it is just to deny reality. Like I, I've got a concert, like a staunch Republican friend who insists that he doesn't see color. It's like, well, basically identity politics Everybody else plays identity politics other than white conservative men, which is fucking ridiculous, right? They just play, they have their own version of identity politics. It's just they can't understand that they're playing identity politics because they're the ones, they, they are the kind of dominant racial group in that particular society. So it's quite easy for you to claim to not be playing identity politics and you don't see race 
when your race doesn't make any difference in this country, right? If you're a white person in this country, that's what white privilege is. You know, like if you have white skin in America, you're automatically entitled to many, many privileges that black people are not, like being able to go jogging without getting shot, you know, being able to go into a shop without being thought of as a, as a, as a, as a thief, you know, getting a bank loan, you know, walking through neighborhoods without being, stopped by the police there's all sorts of things that you can do as a white person with, with white skin that you can't do with black skin and that is the, i don't there's no other way of putting it that's white privilege and to deny that is to de- just deny reality yeah it seems that whenever we make some type of landmark racial progress in this country conservatives think that we've ended racism you know all right well they have their freedom now i don't know what else they would want you know, and then they prevent them from voting and then finally they can vote. And it's like, all right, well, what else do they want? Well, how about they can attend the same schools as white kids? And it's not just, you know, I don't mean to pick on the South, but it is, it is the old Confederacy. But blacks in the North historically have not had it so great either. You know, like you mentioned, there was slavery for a time in the North and all the way up until in my lifetime in Boston, where I grew up, there was a busing crisis in from the mid 70s that lasted until the late 80s, where just naturally, just because of the demographics of the neighborhoods of Boston and the surrounding areas, they were essentially segregated, not by law, but just de facto segregated. And so in order to integrate the schools, officials mandated busing students to different school districts. And a lot of white people had a big problem with that. And that was something that, like I said, was just resolved in my lifetime. And, you know, I'm, I'm not that old. And, and it continues to this day in, in various other forms. And so even if something, even if we get a landmark piece of federal legislation out of this that is designed to deal with police brutality, you know, a bunch of white people across the country are going to say, okay. We've solved the problem of racism in America. We're all equal now, and and that's it. You know, you know this, and this. I think this takes us to the sort of Donald Trump issue, really. With this trouble has uh, kind of exploded under the presidency. It's, it's an administration that simply is not capable of dealing with this situation, right? This is Trump. This is a white supremacist, ethno-nationalist president. And I'm not being hyperbolic here. You know, I, Trump is literally a white supremacist. How could somebody like that empathize with this type, the type of angst that black people feel in this country? Right? It would be impossible for him to, to empathize with these people or have an appropriate response to the uprisings, right? to try and quell the, the anger and you know, calm the nation down and stop the violence. You want a kind of unifying character. And this guy, he's just not simply capable of it because he is basically part of the system. He's the kind of the symbol of the system that has oppressed black people for centuries and centuries. You know, this guy is a, you know, he's an extremely privileged white Anglo-Saxon Protestant male who's inherited, you know, who inherited his wealth, has spent his entire fucking career screwing over poor people screwing over black people and then his his base is also c- consists of that 
same class of people who have consistently voted against you know the civil rights act would have been would have been opposed to abolishing slavery so the his base is a white supremacist base it's a racist white supremacist base and he himself is a is a racist who is incapable of seeing the complexity and understanding the history of, of race in america so we're stuck at this this terrible sort of junction in in history where you've got these mass uprisings and you've got a president who won't be able to respond to it no matter how bad this gets and how many people come out to take the streets to demand change trump's instinct is you know he has authoritarian instincts where right? his instinct is to crush the the demonstrators his in, his instinct is to call in the military to uh use violence to stop essentially peaceful protests so that's what this guy's instincts are so it couldn't really be in a it couldn't be a worse situation you know the wrong man at the wrong time and i don't really see i i have a hard time kind of understand like seeing how this plays out because i don't think these protests are going anywhere it's going to get the more trump antagonizes people the worse it's going to get and it's just gonna it's getting to boiling point now you know, there's no way it's going to calm down in the next six months. I don't see that happening at all. I know, what, do, what, do you, what are your thoughts? How do you see this playing out over the next few months? First of all, quick point, coronavirus is still out there. Protesters... Yeah, yeah. we was still in the pandemic. That was so last week, you know? Yeah. Protesters need to do a better job of wearing their masks and social distancing. I've seen people shaking hands and giving hugs and these can be inspirational moments, but it's like, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Just because coronavirus is pretty much out of the news cycle right now doesn't mean it's not still out there. It still very much is out there. And we're already seeing an increase in cases in certain places around the country. So be smart about it. I don't like what I'm seeing. And I understand like it's not easy to do, but just please keep this in mind, okay? If we're going to crap all over the people packing themselves into restaurants without masks who are like, you know, freedom, we have to apply this to ourselves as well. We have to hold ourselves to the same standard, even though our this cause is a lot more worthy than going to Fuddruckers. Still, please maintain social distancing. Don't shake anybody's hand, wear your mask, just just be as smart as you can about it. But getting back to your question, uh, there there is no one uh, less suited to this moment in time than Donald Trump. One of the easiest things to do as president, as I see it, in a time of crisis, say something that is calming or assuring, or at the very least, doesn't make the situation worse. Donald Trump is incapable of doing that because he's vain, he's petty, he's vengeful. Whenever he tries to deliver a unifying message, he's reading it off a teleprompter. And he just, the timing's all off, the diction is wrong. It's, it's just, it's like he's it's like he's laboring through it. He's reading something he doesn't want to read, and he's thinking about the thing that he actually wants to say, which on paper certainly isn't as nice as what he's actually saying. So he's incapable of, of just being any kind of healer or unifier, as we saw on Monday with that outrageous stunt he pulled 
in Lafayette Square. So I, I won't even say in case you missed it, because nobody missed it. Trump was to speak in the Rose Garden, and he had ordered his attorney general, Bill Barr, who is a toady, a lackey, an obsequious pissant. He was a big kind there. I'm being very kind. Oh, yeah. Trump ordered him to expel peaceful protesters from Lafayette Square. Now, these protesters, they, they weren't setting fires. They went, they weren't looting, you know, reports on the ground. Reporters are saying, and you could see on television, nothing was happening. It was just a large group of people with signs chanting. That's it. And the curfew in DC was 7 PM. Curfew had not yet fallen. And all of a sudden we see this massive police force. It it was, I think it was park police. I think it was military police. I think there was mounted police from, from DC. Maybe They tell the crowd to disperse when they have every right to be there. Curfew hasn't fallen. Nobody's being violent. The the crowd sticks with their right to peaceably assemble. And they just started getting violently pushed back by this wall of police with shields and riot gear. They have batons. They're pushing them with their shields. They're hitting them with their batons. They're firing smoke canisters. They're firing pepper balls. Some reports said tear gas, and then conservatives said, no, tear gas wasn't used. That's, it's beside the point whether they used tear gas or Nerf balls to get them out of the square. Those people were there legally protesting, exercising their right to free speech, exercising their right to assemble. And the press were there covering it, exercising their right as members of the press. So this whole square of protesters is being violently expelled from the area. And it's not even clear why. And as this is going on, this split screen was totally wild. On one side, I'm watching, on the left side, I'm watching the protesters get violently pushed out of the way and knocked down. And on the other is Donald Trump, who starts his speech in the Rose Garden. He has just some cursory words about George Floyd and how he believes in the right the right to assemble and protest when the thing on the left side of the screen shows that he's fucking lying, that he doesn't believe that at all. And then he launches into this diatribe about how he will do whatever is necessary to protect the rights of the American people. And he proceeds to list one right. Is it the right to free speech that's being violated on the left side of my screen? No. Is it the right to assemble that's being violated on the left side of my screen? No. Is it the right to have a free press, which is being violated on the other side of my screen? As I watched an Australian news crew get knocked down by police? No. The right he listed was the Second Amendment right to bear arms. Okay, that is a not so subtle nod to his base and specifically that part of his base that has a lot of guns and can do a lot of damage. I don't know what he was trying to do there. I don't know if he was encouraging them to come out of the woodwork with their guns and start counter protesting the protesters to try to stir some shit up. But it was very unsettling. And then even more unsettling than that was the fact that he threatened to send U.S. soldiers to various cities across the country if the unrest 
does not stop. So you're going to have a president, whether the governors want it or not. You know, we've had federal troops have been deployed many times over the years. Usually it's at the request of, of the governor, as it was, I believe, during the 1992 LA, LA riots in California. Um, sometimes not at the request of a governor. So sometimes you, we had Dwight Eisenhower and John F. Kennedy use troops to make sure that black people could attend school in, in Arkansas and then the University of Mississippi. So this it's, it's not unusual for this to happen, but in the hands of Trump, the military is not water for this fire. It's kerosene. And I do not trust this man to deploy armed troops throughout the United States and not have it have disastrous consequences. And if you want to go down a really dark road, and this is going to sound like out there, but whatever, it's 2020, I'll put it out there. If he does deploy troops in American cities, like urban areas, right? Largely democratic areas, they vote Democrat. Maybe he keeps them there long enough. Maybe he declares some we weird type of state of emergency that doesn't actually exist, but you know it's being litigated in the courts by the time the election rolls around. And maybe for some reason, the number of precincts open on election day have to be whittled down like we saw in Wisconsin to discourage people from voting. With this guy, you cannot count anything out. You, you really can't. I mean, it was just such a disgraceful moment that, outside the church as well. Uh, that, you know, his sort of signaling to his rabid base. And did you, did you see just recently that even, uh, I think Lisa Murkowski has now said that she's considering whether she's going to support Trump uh, for 2020. This is how badly it's gone down. You had James Mattis come out and say that Trump is dividing the nation and that this is a, this guy is a disgrace. Lisa Murkowski, who is, I don't know, I, I don't trust Lisa Murkowski one bit, but I thought that it was significant that she's come out and, and publicly stated that she's thinking of withdrawing support for Trump for his re-election in 2020. This is how bad it's got. This is how fucking insane this guy is, that prominent major conservatives and senators are now coming out and saying, I can't support this guy for re-election. This may be the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't know. Bob, Bob uh, Seska wrote a piece today um, for the band in the Banton newsletter about this saying that he, he believes that this could be the straw, the straw that breaks the camel's back. It was such an ill, uh, ill, ill-timed, ill-advised PR stunt that was just offensive on so many levels. And we left out the reason why those protesters were cleared out. Oh, yeah. If it was a photo. Yeah, because Trump wanted to, he was upset by news reports that had placed him in the White House bunker over the previous weekend as the protests were going on around the White House. And so he didn't like that. And so he wanted to be seen outside the White House gates. And he wanted to, I guess, walk to St. John's Episcopal Church, which meant if he wants to walk there, he'd have to go through Lafayette Square or near Lafayette Square. And so he could have this photo op, this weird photo op where he just holds up a Bible, which he has no use for other than as a prop in front of a building he has no use for other than as a prop. And, and that was it. And that was it. And it was just totally weird. It's, it's just so it's just so fucking vain and just ridiculous 
absolutely ridiculous. And, and as for Lisa Murkowski, yeah, it's good that she came out and said that. At the same time, she's not sure if she's going to support Trump in 2020. What else do you need to see? It's been three and a half years of this bullshit and nonsense. Grow a spine. Just come out and say it. And she's going to continue voting for his agenda. So, um, you know, this is like Jeff Flake 2.0. Sure, sure, sure. But I, th- I think it, you know, I, I sense some some movement. I do sense some movement in the GOP establishment. Uh, apparently, um, so when he sent, did you see the the, the the Trump's tweet about the shooting and the looting? When the looting starts, the shooting begins, or something like that. When the loot was it, the looting starts and the shooting starts. When the looting starts, the shooting starts. It was yes. it was first uttered by a racist Miami police chief in the 1960s. Yeah, and 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 apparently Trump's everyone around him, even his closest advisors, were horrified by this and made him walk it back. Like they were absolutely sort of freaked out. They were really freaked out by by this by this um, uh, his his statement. So I feel like there's a there is some movement now that people are you know they're you know the rats are going to get flee the ship because it's not looking good for this guy. It's not looking good. The polls are bad, real bad, real fucking bad for Trump. And I think that they are freaking out right now. I genuinely see that in the Republican Party. They think they're going to lose the Senate. Biden is up in the polls in swing states by margins now that are going to be very difficult for Trump to claw back. And I think a lot of Republicans now, what they're going to do now, this is I wouldn't be surprised if we did see this a bit, would be a lot of Republicans say, yeah, I fuck this guy. I never supported him anyway, right? Now would be their opportunity to denounce him, right? So that they can't get tied to him in a post in a post Trump America. That that's how that. So I think that a lot of these Republicans, obviously for cynical reasons, might end up doing that. They might end up denouncing Trump and saying, "Yeah, this guy's gone too far," because they think he's going to lose. That may be the case, although I think most of them are in too deep. And if they suddenly do an about face, I mean, if if you're in a if you're in a swing district uh, or a swing state like, say, Cory Gardner is mm. uh, in Colorado or Susan Collins is in Maine, if all of a sudden they turn on Trump, well, where were you the previous three and a half years now that like we're just months away from reelection? You see how unpopular this guy is. And now you're trying to save your own skin by jumping ship. Like, no, you it's clear that you are just going to go whichever way you think the political winds are blowing. And that's not good enough for us. So I no, think well, it's, for, it's not good enough. But it's, it, look, here's what I will say that, yeah, you're right. It's not it's definitely not good enough, but it's it's still good. It's a good thing that the the, the rats jump off the sinking ship. You know, I, I, I would love to see. I think like Trump has to like if the country's going to move forward at all, if it has any fucking chance of recovering, Trump has got to get annihilated in this election. I'm talking across the board, smashed everywhere. Right. It's got to be a hum- an unbelievably humiliating 
defeat for for this disease of Trumpism to go away, right? It, it, and 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 I think that the more people that start abandoning him, the better, because it could be it there could be like a, a an effect where you know, he starts losing made you know prominent backers that more and more people are going to start because they're all going to try and save their asses in in um in in 2020 post 2020 if Trump doesn't get in. I mean, look at Lindsey Graham. I think Lindsey Graham will be the first person to start denouncing Trump. Right, because he he's such a spineless little shit, Lindsey Graham. He was the what you know. He spent 2016 talking about what an existential threat Trump was to democracy, etc., etc., etc. Soon as Trump gets elected, Lindsey Graham is you know number one confident. You know, you, you know what I mean. He he was the guy um, uh, that you know playing golf with Trump and Trump's BFF now, the BFF from South Carolina. So I th- I think that. Lindsey Graham, if just watch for Lindsey Graham. If Lindsey Graham jumps ship, you can bet that a lot of others are going to follow. And I think that that's a good thing because you, this guy, he needs to, you know, he needs to go, but he can't, he can't um, lose a close election. It has to be overwhelming. And so the more of these people that leave, fine, you know, like they can pay a price for this later. And I think they will. Everybody who supported Trump is going to pay a political price for this after he leaves office, but not until he leaves office. That's for sure. So are you saying that? In order for Trump to be denounced far and wide by Republicans, he has to be trounced, whereas if he loses by a close margin, he won't be? I, th- I think that if Republicans think that Trump has a chance of winning, the less likely he is to be re- re-elected, the more Republicans are going to distance themselves from him and find an excuse to say, yeah, I never liked the guy anyway. Like He's gone too far and uh, we denounce him. So you're saying the polls have to be really – I thought you were talking about after the fact for for a little bit there. So you're saying like if the polls are really bad running up to the election, then that's when we'll see more people jumping ship. Got it. Yes, that's what I see happening because a lot of the Republicans supporting Trump – I mean they are the, – the shamelessness is just extraordinary. I mean they are so shameless. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. So I think that we should expect to see them jump ship again. I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest that that if Republicans started jumping off the ship, because why wouldn't they? I mean, they were. They were only. None of them like him. They all hate him. There were very few. All the all the Trump loyalists in the in the GOP. I would I would say that ninety percent of them think he's an idiot and think that he's completely unqualified to do any to, to lead anything. But they support him because because Republican because of the Republican base. The Republican base overwhelmingly supports Trump, right? But if that starts to look more, less and less solid, if independents are moving away from Trump, you've got he's losing he's losing white women, uh, he's losing elderly voters. He's losing fucking everywhere in the polls. So the more this starts to happen, the more Republicans say, well, I don't, I don't, you know, we don't need this guy anymore. He doesn't control the base. He doesn't control the party anymore. Soon as Trump, it looks like Trump's grip on the on the base starts to loot, starts to sort of weaken. Then you're going to start seeing a shift. And I think it could be like a domino effect. And maybe we're starting to see that now. That's why I thought the Murkowski thing was interesting, because it shows that, you know, more and more prominent Republicans are now saying like, hey, like, okay, fuck this guy. And I don't think it's because they're being brave. I think it's because they see the writing on the wall. That's just, that's that's my calculation. That's my perception. I, I could be wrong, of course. You mentioned Lindsey Graham. Ted Cruz has something on Lindsey Graham in term, in the, the Trump fealty department. They both suck up to him, obviously. They both 
before he was the nominee, denounced him in no uncertain terms. Cruz called him a pathological liar. But on top of that, Trump made fun of the appearance of Heidi Cruz, Ted Cruz's wife. He gave and Cruz gave very forceful comments after that. This was during the election, during the uh, during the campaign for the Republican nomination that that Cruz was running for. And he said, leave Heidi the hell alone. And now he is completely on board the Trump train. I don't know about you, but (laughs) if someone insults your wife, there's there's no there's no coming back from that. And yet Ted Cruz castrated himself, put his testicles in a jar, gave them to Donald Trump, where presumably he keeps them in the residence somewhere, along with a whole bunch of other testicles of Republican lawmakers. But Ted Cruz, that that was really bad. It's a, it's, a, it's a special case, yeah. No, if somebody insulted my yeah, if somebody insulted my wife in 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 that in the way that Trump did it, yeah, I, I would physically assault him. There wouldn't be, I certainly wouldn't be making up with him. I'd he'd be getting a one two on the on the chin. But te, but Ted Cruz is out there campaigning for the guy. I mean, this is this shows you the degree. I mean, Trump was right, you know, when he tore through the Republican primaries, he basically called them all out and said, "You all a bunch of pussies," and they are. And they and they are and their fealty to Trump has proven it that they're so spineless and so cowardly that they would get behind a man in Ted Cruz's case who literally insulted his wife's looks. And on top of that, Ted Cruz, he is so calculating and cynical and without principle at the Republican National Convention in 2016 when Trump was nominated You might remember this pretty infamous speech that he gave in which he did not endorse Trump, but urged voters to vote their conscience. He got a lot of booze and you're thinking like, wow, oh, okay, Ted Cruz really is against whatever Trump is selling. And then Trump wins. And now he's all in for Trump. What Cruz did at the national convention, what that speech was was him banking on an outcome where Trump did not become president. He, like most of the rest of the country, assumed Hillary Clinton would defeat Donald Trump in the general election, and then Ted Cruz could run as the principled conservative against her in 2024. It didn't happen that way. And so so Cruz saw the writing on the wall, and that his political ambitions could only be furthered by throwing his lot in with Trump, who not only basically called his wife ugly, but implied that his father was involved in the assassination of John F. Kennedy. So oh, I totally forgot about that. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> I totally forgot about it, too. I just remembered it as I was talking. You know, it, it, it just shows you how emasculated Cruz has been at the hands of Trump. It's it's just and and the rest of the Republican Party and the rest of the Republican Party, but but Cruz especially. Oof. So I understand you wanted to talk about uh, our good friend Tucker Carlson. Yeah, I think it's a nice little um, segue to Tucker Carlson there because uh, speaking of spineless little shits, and that's again that's me being kind to Tucker Carlson. But there was an extraordinary segment, extraordinary 
segment from Tucker Carlson on um, the uh, the pro on Trump and the protests. Leave it to be Tucker Carlson. I find it, you know, he's an interesting character. He really is because he's he's so evil and nasty, but dresses it up in in, in a very elegant kind of a way. Uh, and and knows exactly what he's doing. This is why I've long thought that Tucker Carlson is the most dangerous person in America. He's the most malevolent force in 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 U.S. politics because he is sort of the intellectual justification. He provides the intellectual justification for Trumpism and racism and white supremacy. This this guy is like. I don't know what the hell happened to him. He was never he was never like a racist. I never thought that Tucker Carlson was a racist. But as soon as the whole Trump thing started, Tucker Carlson reinvented himself as a kind of uh, a, a, as a as a white supremacist enabler. But he does it in in a very subtle way. And I thought that his segment on Trump from uh, earlier this this week was just amazing he's going after trump over the protests because he's basically for the for the complete opposite reasons that everybody else is going after him tucker carlson is going after trump on the protest because he believes trump hasn't been strong enough he's called trump out for being weak on this so he had this whole monologue here here we go i'm gonna play this how can you protect my family how are you going to protect the country how hard are you trying on twitter the next morning the president reassured america that he and his family were just fine the federally funded bodyguards had kept them safe. He did not mention protecting the rest of the nation, much of which was then on fire. He seemed aware only of himself. For people who like Donald Trump, who voted for Donald Trump, who support his policies, who have defended him for years and years against the most absurd kinds of slander, this was a distressing moment. The first requirement of leadership is that you watch over the people in your care. That's what soldiers want from their officers. It's what families need from their fathers. It's what voters demand from their presidents. People will put up with almost anything if you do that. You can regularly say embarrassing things on television. You can hire Omarosa to work at the White House. All of that will be forgiven if you protect your people. But if you do not protect them, or worse than that, if you seem like you can't be bothered to protect them, then you're done. It's over. People will not forgive weakness. That's the one thing. By the way, that is not a partisan point. It is human nature. Nero is the only Roman emperor whose name most people still remember. Why? Because he abandoned his nation in a time of crisis. And 2,000 years later, we still don't forgive him. And then he went on to say this. But the president's famously sharp instincts, the ones that won him the presidency almost four years ago, have been since subverted at every level by Jared Kushner. This is true on immigration, on foreign policy, and especially on law enforcement. As crime in this country continues to rise, Jared Kushner has led a highly aggressive effort to let more criminals out of prison and back onto the streets. This is reckless. At this moment in time, it's insane. It continues to happen. The president seems to sense this. At times, he seems aware he's being led in the wrong direction. He often derides Kushner as a liberal, and that's correct. Kushner is. But Kushner has convinced the president that throwing open the prisons is the key to winning African-American votes in the fall and that those votes are essential to his reelection. Several times over the past few days, the president has signaled that he would very much like to crack down on rioters. That is his instinct. If you've watched him, you believe it. But every time he has been talked out of it by Jared Kushner and by aides that Kushner has hired and controls. It's, I thought it was extremely interesting 
that he singled out two people in specifically in that whole diatribe. So it was Omarosa and Jared Kushner. So a black woman and a Jew. He, he masks his his attack on Trump. He, he does this a lot with Trump, right? So he always attacks Trump from the right. Every time he's gone after Trump, it had, it was the first one was because Trump said something about guns and saying, you know, we're going to have background checks on guns or we're going to take people's guns away and then we're going to give them a background check. I mean, he he said something that was a get, you know, that the Republicans weren't happy with, and Tucker Carlson went after him for that, and then he goes after him for not putting down protest about a black person being brutally assaulted by the police so no, no no mention of that at all tucker carlson says so he says you can regularly say embarrassing things on television you can hire omarosa to work at the white house and all of that will be forgiven if you protect your people but if you do not protect them then you're done right and then he went the next part about you know no one has more contempt for donald trump's voters than jared kushner and no one expresses it more frequently carlson said right so he's going after two you know two figures he mentions only two people by name in this which are, is a black woman and a Jew. And he veils his attack on Trump by saying, it's not Trump, it's the people around him. It's the clowns that he get, he brings in. You know, I'm a, a black woman is a clown. A Jew is a globalist, right? There's this very thinly veiled racial overtones that he uses when, when in, in, in these kind of monologues that he goes on. And they're designed to whip up this sort of whip up racism, basically. So it's designed to justify Trump's racism. It's designed to justify racism, right? And Tucker Carlson knows exactly what he's doing when he when he puts these monologues together, right? Where he knows that if he mentions like you know Trump is failing because it's a, because there's a sort of a liberal Jew in Trump's cabinet, right? There's a globalist Jew. Look, I, I don't like, I, Jared Kushner, as far as I'm concerned, is a, is a little scumbag who should be in prison. He should literally be in prison. He's one of the worst offenders. He's gone along with, with, uh, with Trump on, on all of his insane policy ideas. Uh, he's completely unqualified and he's clearly using the presidency to leverage his own business interests. I mean, that's a whole other podcast on, on how corrupt Jared Kushner is. Nevertheless, it's just interesting that Tucker Carlson singles him out for criticism for Trump. Nothing else. No criticism for Trump for, you know, being a complete moron. In fact, he said, you know, Trump's famously sharp instincts. Really? Trump has sharp instincts? I mean, he's fucked everything up. You could not have made a worse job of being a president than Trump has at every single level. And everybody around him thinks this every sane republican i don't know if there are any i think that's a bit of an oxymoron but the people in his government there are constant leaks going out to the press that everybody around trump says he's insane that he's not capable he's not competent he's an idiot his intellect is you know he he has the intellectual curiosity of an eighth grader this is not a secret that Trump is grossly incompetent. Yet Tucker Carlson pretends that he is and pretends that the fuck-ups happening with the Trump administration are the fault of liberal Jews and black women. I mean, so I thought it was an extraordinary rant that uh, deserves a lot more attention, really, because this is how insidious white supremacy is in America. That that, And this is how Tucker, Tucker Carlson is very, very deliberately stoking tensions. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows who Trump's base is. Listen, if anybody hates Trump's base, it's Tucker Carlson. Do you think Tucker Carlson 
is is going to be hanging out at a Trump rally. Do you think Tucker Carlson would have anything to do with a Trump supporter? The guy lives in a multi-million dollar mansion in Washington, in one of the richest suburbs of Washington, D.C. He's in a liberal enclave in Washington, D.C. He sends his kids to elite schools. He himself went to elite schools. He's a multimillionaire many, 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 many times over. And yet he, he, there he is claiming he's man of the people and it's the liberal Jews who actually hate the Trump supporters. No, Tucker Carlson fucking hates Trump supporters. He hates Trump supporters as much as Trump does. But he plays this sort of everyman uh, card to provide intellectual cover for you know, Trump's egregious abuses of power and gross incompetence as president. So, yeah, I thought it was really, really interesting. And, and um, I, I'm surprised it didn't get more attention. But you have to, you know, you have to read between the lines of Tucker Carlson. I think he's a fascinating subject, really, because you can, you, you know, he's a tricky guy. And uh, you can't ever tell what side of an argument he's going to come down on. And I think that he does that deliberately to kind of to provide cover for his more extreme uh, extremist views. I don't even know whether he believes it or whether he's just sucking up to Trump's base. I, d- I don't know. Well, like you said, Ben, he's an everyman. I mean, his full name is Tucker Swanson McNear Carlson, as we've noted on this show before. And the Swanson is the Swanson TV dinner empire in there. So he's an heir to that. Uh, he was born to wealth and privilege, and he continues to ride on it. He also, by the way, he poo-pooed the idea that there were peaceful protesters at all. He's like, oh, yeah, sure, they're peaceful. It's like, yeah, well, 99% of them are. And then there's another 1% that's interested in, in something other than, than justice for George Floyd and, and, and other victims of police brutality. But he pins it on Kushner, and he said something like, and the people he controls— Using classic, like, yeah, it's yeah, a globalist, yeah. Zionist conspiracy, like, people he controls. That's a weird way to put it, the people he controls. Like, how about the people he oversees, or the people under him, or the people he supervises, or the people he manages? No, the people he controls. It's very, very sinister language. And like you said, he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows who his audience is. And white supremacists, they love this fucking guy. They love him. Oh yeah, that's his core. That's his core audience, you know. Um, but these sort of gremlins who live on uh, on these internet chat rooms—they absolutely love Tucker Carlson. Now, there's a special place in hell for for Tucker Carlson. I really think he's one of the most appalling human beings on the planet. And and there are no, you know, there's nothing I wouldn't wish on him. Like he really is a despicable person. And the fact that he's given cover to Trump for for the past four years. Is just grim, you know. I mean, he, you know, he's an opportunist. I think. I think Tucker Carlson is an extreme opportunist. He he saw the writing on the wall. He saw where the Trump movement was going, and he figured out, look, I can cash in on this. I can carve a little niche for myself, basically spreading white supremacy because that's the flavor of the day right now in Republican politics. The Republican Party is essentially now a fascist party. It's a fact, or at least the basis, at least self-identifying Republicans, not necessarily the party, but it is a fascist movement. And Tucker Carlson just he just recognized it faster than other people did and and said okay i'm gonna get on i'm gonna get on board with this fan the flames of 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 racism in america because i can make a little tidy profit out of it i mean yeah he he really is a a a reptilian character 
You know, uh, I I agree with uh, David Icke on this that there are rep- that, that there may be reptilian characters controlling the government because and, and and controlling the media. I don't actually think they are reptiles, but um, I think if it, Tucker Carlson would definitely be high up on the list of of, re- of of reptilians working in the media in 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 the government to control the masses. Tucker Carlson. It's quite possible he doesn't believe what he's actually saying, which would make it, in my mind, I don't know. Does it make it worse? Like, is it worse if to be Tucker Carlson and just fanning these flames than it is being an actual white supremacist? Because if you're if you're an actual white supremacist, like you are, you believe this shit for whatever reason, you believe it, okay? And you don't know any better. You're ignorant. You're bigoted. Maybe it was how you were raised. I don't know what the deal is there. But then you have Tucker Carlson, who, like you said, knows better. And he doesn't care. He's going to speak to that audience anyway. He's going to get them riled up. He knows. And he's already wealthy. He's already wealthy. He's part of a very rich family. What? Like, I don't understand what he needs this for. Like, what do you need this for? Just fucking go home. Go away. Go golf for the rest of your life. Go go on a fucking island. Hang Drink out with Do you hear someone like I think someone like he got in a fight with someone at one of his country clubs uh, because one so they, someone called his dad someone harassed his daughter there or something or told said to his daughter that that her father was a an asshole something like that but it's so Tucker Carlson to be a member of a fucking country club that's just of course he's a member of a country club yeah why not just retire somewhere. Take an early retirement, and yeah, exactly. Hang out with your, your hang out with all your your wasp friends in in the you know in the Hamptons or wherever the hell you go to. But no, I just think he wants to be relevant. I just think he he loves the attention. He's a very clever guy. I mean, he's a, I say very clever. He's the kind of like he's a white supremacist's vision of what a clever person is, you know, or of what an intellectual is. I mean, he's he's a, he's a he's an intellectual lightweight compared to real intellectuals, but. You know, to a to a sort of not particularly educated um, uh, white supremacist, he probably sounds incredibly smart. So, and Tucker, I just think he gets off on it. And, you know, does Tucker Carlson believe it? Maybe he does. I don't know. I mean, I think that he's more cynical. I think, you know, that that's why I think he's genuinely sort of evil because I think that I I, I feel that he's kind of amoral. He doesn't necessarily he's not necessarily racist, but he'll use racism if it if it benefits him. That much is clear. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. How about you? Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, you know, I wish we had, when we promised to do some good news, um, but there was no good news this past week. It's all pretty grim. So sorry about that. But we will do a podcast at some point where we only talk about positive things, uh, but just not this week. So anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Um, uh, You can get a Bantam membership at a 50% discount. If you go to the bottom of this post, you'll see a nice orangey red button with a 50% off sign you can get 50% off and you'll get access to all premium articles and um, yeah thank you very much for listening and we will see you again next week hang in there everyone